Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Today we're going to hear from Kevin Hassett. He is the author of The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. We're also going to um, talk a bit about countries where it's hardest to follow Jesus in 2022. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, as you probably know, Mission Connection concluded on Sunday night, and it was such a joy to be together with fellow believers exploring God's heart toward mission and um, asking for direction in terms of what we might do to fulfill the Great Commission. I want to commend um, Bill McLeod and the Steering Committee, um, Village Church, for making the church available and providing a whole raft of volunteers who made this a flawless event. And I also wanted to let you know that if you were unable to attend Mission Connection, the plenary sessions, the four plenary sessions, will be available at missionconnection.com sooner rather than later, possibly as early as this week. And then most of the um, workshops will also be available online in a couple of weeks. You can follow that at missionconnection.com. Now, there are some exceptions. Some ministries um, cannot be as open about the work they're doing. And putting uh, that workshop on the Internet would not be in the best interest of those who are serving in that uh, part of the world. So there will be some exceptions, but for the most part, you're going to have the opportunity to hear from the workshop presenters and such great teaching um, you you won't find many other places. So check that out. And again, congratulations on a great Mission Connection 2022. We're going to take a few moments to uh, take a look at some of the day's headlines, actually from the last few days. Virginia's new Attorney General Jason Mayaris has announced major investigations within hours of taking office. The newly sworn in Attorney General announced um, investigations into the Virginia Parole Board in Loudoun County Public Schools within hours of his swearing in. In a statement released on Saturday, just hours after... Um, He and Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin were sworn in. He explained why he's launched an investigation into the Commonwealth's parole board as well as the county public schools. One of the reasons, and I'm quoting, Virginians got so fed up with government is the lack of transparency. And that's a big issue here. The Virginia parole board broke the law when they let out murderers, rapists and cop killers early on the Uh, their sentences without notifying the victims. Loudoun County Public Schools covered up a sexual assault on school grounds for a political gain, leading to an additional assault on a young girl, end quote. Well, Loudoun County became a focal point in uh, then-candidate Youngkin's gubernatorial race against former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe following the arrest of a 14-year-old male high school student who identifies as non-binary and who's been found guilty of assaulting a female student in a school bathroom. Well, that student was transferred to another school where he allegedly assaulted another student, and the district has been accused of covering up the crime, which resulted in one of the alleged victim's parents being arrested at a school board meeting. Well, the offending student has been placed on a sex offender's registry for life as part of his sentence. In addition to the investigation... The attorney general notified about 30 staff members that they uh, no longer will be employed by the office of the attorney general. Virginia State Senator Luis Lucas uh, tweeted that uh, the attorney general fired the entire civil rights division, which uh, the office is, um, which Mayorkas, the uh, uh, attorney general, says is not accurate. 
In other developments, Jen Psaki took a shot at Governor Youngkin over his order allowing Virginia parents to opt out of mask mandates. And a Virginia mom says Glenn Youngkin fulfilled his promise to parents on day one. CNN's Paul Begala says Democrats don't have bad leaders, they just have bad followers. So apparently it's your fault. Uh, CNN contributor Paul Begala went to a bat for the president, making the case that the problem for Democrats isn't uh, with those at the top of the party. On the subject of the president's failing efforts to get the voting rights bill passed in Congress, he was asked to react to a quote from Andrea Waters King, daughter-in-law to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who told Politico, what we've seen with President Biden is what happens when he puts his full force and power behind an issue like infrastructure. What we want to see is that same power and passion being put behind voting rights, end quote. Do you think that's a fair criticism? Did President Biden put more effort into getting infrastructure passed, for example? CNN anchor Poppy Harlow asked during a panel discussion on Monday. Well, Begala responded, well, he got infrastructure passed, and that's a good thing because success can breed success. He's putting the full force of the presidency behind it. I think the problem for the Democrats right now is not that they have bad leaders. They have bad followers. Hmm. Representative Burgess Owens says the president's agenda doesn't represent MLK's hopes and dreams. Meanwhile, President Biden is planning executive orders on police reform, according to a new report. Senator Bernie Sanders took to Twitter on Monday last to call out two colleagues by name in the Democrat effort to change the Senate's filibuster rule to pass the party's voting rights bill. Senate Republicans are unified in their opposition and it failed as voting rights bill finally comes to the floor. He said at the time, there's only one vote which will really matter. Uh, will 50 Democrats vote to override the filibuster, protect American democracy and pass the bill or will Manchin and Cinema? Um, vote with the GOP and let the bill die. Well, a tie in the Senate would be decided by Vice President Kamala Harris. The Senate uh, debated, voted on Tuesday, and the vote, excuse me, debated on Tuesday, and the vote took place Wednesday. It was not successful. Leo Terrell blasted Democrats in a 1965 time warp in over um, their racism claims in opposition to the election law overhaul. Vice President Kamala Harris will not absolve senators who oppose the Biden agenda. I didn't know she had that power to absolve anyone, but a civil rights uh, leader ripped the president and the vice president, saying progressives hijacked the rich legacy of our movement. A federal appeals court has sent the Texas abortion law case to the Republican majority state Supreme Court. Well, California is weighing a proposal that could double its taxes. The bill could increase taxes by roughly twelve thousand two hundred and fifty dollars per household. Wow. Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, said in an interview published last Sunday that he believes there will be a return to normal life, in quotes, sometime in the spring after over two years of dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And a major cruise line hit with COVID cases canceled the cruise mid-trip. I bet that was fun. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue to take a look at the news from the last several days. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, progressive prosecutors are being blasted as homicide numbers climb in Los Angeles. The, the policies of district attorneys in Los Angeles and elsewhere around the country are failing their own communities, according to the L.A. County prosecutor who led the Gabriel Fernandez case in 2014. 
after a homeless man allegedly knifed a 24-year-old California grad student to death in a furniture store. And another one allegedly killed a 70-year-old woman at the Los Angeles bus stop last week, John Hatami. He says voters need to pay closer attention to D.A. races in their communities and choose more qualified candidates. Brianna Kupfer was at work on Thursday at the Croft House, an upscale furniture store, when the suspect, who LAPD later identified as a 31-year-old, walked in and stabbed her to death. Sandra Shells was a longtime ER nurse who police say needed brain surgery after an attack near Union Station Thursday morning. She succumbed to her illness at the same hospital where she worked. The 48-year-old homeless man who police reportedly arrested nearby faces a single charge of murder. Well, crime in Los Angeles is on the rise, and critics, including Hatami, are blaming the uh, policies, the politics of the city's new top cop, George Gascon, and other left-wing uh, leaders like him. When you say, here's a list of crime I'm not going to prosecute, yeah, you're not a good DA, says Hatami. In other developments, the follow, father rather of a slain UCLA grad student is blaming politicians for the spike in crime. And a Los Angeles ER nurse has died after the attack near Union Station. An NYPD officer was shot while struggling with a suspect over a gun. I hope you're praying for the country. GOP lawmakers are asking the FDA for answers in the Pfizer COVID-19 booster approval process for children, calling the delay quite troubling. A COVID-19 patient moved to Texas after the risk of having his ventilator turned off in a Minnesota hospital. And the January 6th committee has subpoenaed Rudy Giuliani and three others over election fraud claims. The White House soft launched the COVID-19 test request website. And the New York Attorney General is seeking testimony from former President Trump and his children in legal action over his financial dealings. A judge signed a plan resolving the Puerto Rico bankruptcy battle. And Giant has warned shoppers there of significant strain on the supply chain a month after President Biden touted significant progress. I'm noticing less and less on the uh, the shelves. The Supreme Court has rejected a request to block federal air travel mask mandates. Senator Manchin and Cinema backed the filibuster. They derailed the nuclear option push for their election bill. And President Biden and Majority Leader Schumer responded to the major setback after the filibuster vote failed in the Senate. Dissenter Manchin accused fellow Democrats of taking the easy way out with a filibuster nuclear option vote. Howard Kurt says the president is banking on a PR reset as Democrats showcase their voting rights failure. And the president hesitated to say the 2022 election results will be legitimate since the voting rights bill did not pass. Biden's news conference was panned by friends and foe alike, calling it a total disaster. President Biden spent most of 2021 avoiding news conferences, but he held one on Wednesday that was panned for being a total disaster. The White House had high hopes for the event, looking to paint the administration as a less cloistered outfit that embraces the public and transparency. With the president's strikingly low popularity numbers, the president was expected to cast himself as a competent leader who was in touch with the problems of everyday American voters. But it took a different turn. Uh, the debacle that took place behind the podium from the East Room in the White House on Wednesday did little to support the, that persona, according to reactions. The president was criticized throughout his long remarks on issues related to Russian aggression toward Ukraine, his claim that he over, overperformed expectations, his outburst toward a reporter and more. Well, the White House clarified the president's position on Ukraine after the president's news conference. 
And Stephen Miller slammed the, the president for failing to address the southern border during that lengthy news conference. A French man has been charged with manslaughter after a five-year-old dies in a ski collision. And North Carolina authorities say a driver has been charged after a military vehicle overturns, killing two more Marines. Alec Baldwin is being sued for $25 million by the family of a fallen U.S. Marine. Now, the family of this Marine killed in a suicide bombing in Afghanistan is suing Alec Baldwin for allegedly mislabeling his sister as a participant in the Capitol riot on June 6, 2021. The 63-year-old actor is named in the lawsuit seeking $25 million and alleging defamation, invasion of privacy, negligence, and intentional infliction of emotional distress, according to court documents. United posted a $646 million loss as Omicron casts a shadow. And Americans are worried rising inflation will outpace their wages this year. Disney CEO Bob Chapek and Bob Iger's pay packages have more than doubled. And the Biden administration is being slammed for missing a crucial infrastructure deadline. Over 100 millionaires are calling for higher taxes worldwide. According to a Gallup poll, there has been a 14-point swing in favor of a Republican Party affiliation uh, in one year. Democrats held a nine-point advantage to start the year. They lost ground every quarter that Biden was in office. The Republicans finished with a five-point advantage. Now, voters are fickle. We'll see where these numbers stand a year from now. Golden State Warriors co-owner says nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs. Uh, He made the comment on a podcast and the troubling uh, clip has went viral. Guy Benson points out this guy is saying aloud what the NBA has been saying through their actions. We don't care about genocide that he goes on to defend China and attack America is icing on the cake. Well, he admitted later after re-listening to his week's podcast, rather, he recognized that I came across as lacking empathy. Oh, you think? Well, the Warriors issued a statement saying that he does not speak on behalf of the franchise and his views don't reflect those of the organization. But the statement gave no indication what those views are. Hugh Hewitt asked, when does the NBA weigh in as it did with Donald Sterling? Well, a judge ruled Wisconsin cannot use ballot drop boxes. A judge in a key battleground state in Wisconsin, of Wisconsin rather ruled Thursday that ballot drop boxes and ballot harvesting violates the state's um, law and cannot be used in the incoming midterm elections. Waukesha County Circuit Court Judge Michael Beren, he determined there's no statutory authority to allow for either practice, which became highly controversial in Wisconsin following the state's razor thin outcome in the 2020 presidential election. President Biden defeated former President Donald Trump in the state by approximately 20,000 votes. Well, the FBI changed its tune on the synagogue gunman's motives um, in an initial uh, statement. An agent referred to the terrorist as a hostage taker and claimed that there was no uh, known motive. He also said there was no indication that of a larger plot involved. By Sunday night, the FBI finally called it what it was, an anti-Semitic terrorism attack on a synagogue during worship services. Why was it so hard? Hmm. In a strange move, the Associated Press deleted a tweet that quoted the FBI saying the hostage takers demands were not connected to the Jewish community. The Michigan Democrat Party posted, then deleted, an anti-parent rant. The original tweet seen uh, on Twitter concluded the clients of the public school is not the parent, but the entire community, the public, which would include the parent, wouldn't it? Anyway, um, Corey DeAngelis said they said um, the quiet part out loud and now they're backpedaling. 
Well, fans are furious, particularly those on the left, because left rather because actress Kristen Bell posed for a picture with police. That is not woke enough. Even though she supports BLM and is a tried and true woke individual, one mistake is all it takes. She's been canceled. Thieves in Los Angeles are stealing packages off of trains on a daily basis, leaving a massive mess behind. Uh, The director of public affairs for Union Pacific pinned the blame on politics. He said criminals are caught and arrested, turned over to local authorities for booking, arraigned before the local courts. Charges are uh, reduced to a misdemeanor or petty offense, and the criminal is released after paying a nominal fee. These individuals are generally caught and released back onto the streets in less than 24 hours. Even with all the arrests made, the no-cash bail policy and extended time frame for suspects to appear in court is causing re-victimization to UP by these same criminals. In fact, criminals boast to their officers that charges will be um, pied down to simple trespassing, which bears no serious consequence. Without any judicial deterrence or consequence, it's no surprise that over the past year, UP has uh, witnessed the significant increase in criminal rail theft as described. Inflation is uh, helping Washington as income taxes rise. Well, this boom for the Beltway reflects the strong growth in nominal GDP. With 7% inflation, nominal GDP is increasing by double digits, which leads to higher nominal profits, wages, and salaries. Washington gets the revenue windfall from taxes on those nominal increases, even if average wages for workers falls behind inflation, as they did last year by 2.4%, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. A 7% rate of inflation is um, Christmas all year round for the federal government. State governments are also reaping revenue windfalls. Democrats are pushing fear if Republicans win elections from the Wall Street Journal editorial board. President Biden's Georgia speech last week or the week before last on voting in elections was riddled with too many falsehoods to count. But one of his claims deserves closer scrutiny. The president said the end game of Republican state legislatures is to turn the will of the voters into mere suggestion, something states can respect or ignore. Assuring listeners that this is not hyperbole, he added, your vote won't matter. They'll just decide what they want and then do it. Senate Democrats may vote Wednesday on the proposal that would nationalize election laws and did. The assertion that GOP legislatures are preparing to overturn a future presidential vote in their state is a major justification. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll hear from Kevin Hassett, author of The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. We're also going to take a look at countries where it's the hardest to follow Jesus in 2022. Well, vaccine mandates for truck drivers is going to increase the cost of produce. The cost of transporting fruit from California and Arizona to Canada climbed 25% last week. That's according to the CEO of Canada Wide Fruits speaking to Bloomberg. The executive in Montreal mentioned a lack of truck drivers who were able to cross the border between the U.S. and Canada because of a vaccine mandate that cut U.S. trucking capacity in half. California is pushing a bill that could eliminate private health insurance. All residents of the state, including illegal immigrants, would be eligible to enroll and medical services would be free at the point of service, meaning no premiums, deductibles or other cost sharing. Medical professional payments uh, would be regulated on the 
fee-for-service basis, and there would be severe restrictions on the ability of doctors to treat patients outside of the state government system. Single-payer advocates in California and elsewhere routinely promise that their single-payer prescription would guarantee high-quality care for all at lower cost. President Biden spent uh, more than a quarter of his first year in office at home in Delaware, and they won't release the visitor logs. I'm not sure how that compares to previous administrations. Just a point of interest. New Jersey officials want to ban a Chick-fil-A due to perceived politics, which permeates everything these days. Local officials in New Jersey are speaking out against a proposal to build a Chick-fil-A restaurant on the the uh, Garden State Parkway, alleging that the CEO's views um, make it unworthy for placement along a taxpayer-funded highway. Perhaps floating somewhere above would be acceptable. A fourth COVID vaccine doesn't stop Omicron, we are now told. And Hong Kong killed thousands of hamsters due to COVID. About a dozen got the Delta variant, and that was all she wrote. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki gets blistered on Twitter after thanking the Virginia School District for mask defiance. And more than a third of the country gives Biden an F for his first year in office. 11% gave him an A. Two-thirds grade him uh, with either C at 12% or D at 18% and 37% an F. The Wall Street Journal reports that President Biden bears some blame if Russia invades Ukraine. Mr. Biden didn't help deterrence at his press conference Wednesday by suggesting that a minor incursion by Russia might not trigger a united response from the West. It's one thing if it is a minor incursion and then we end up having to fight about what to do and not do, end quote. The president said uh, in his press conference, pressed on the point, he didn't provide any clarity on what would be minor. Mr. Putin may think he now has leave to take at least some territory. The response fits the pattern that goes back to the weak Western response to Russia's previous aggression. In 2009, after Russia's invasion of Russia the previous year, Barack Obama called for a reset with the Kremlin and achieved little. In 2014, Mr. Obama and the Europe imposed sanctions on Russia, but they were too weak to make any difference. Well, the media is targeting the struggles of Vice President Kamala Harris in a rare rebuke from the established media. The AP printed and the Washington Post republished a story entitled Harris Still Struggling to Define Herself One Year in VP Job. Uh, Of late, Harris seems to be the media's favorite scapegoat for the administration's failures. The Post published in January that Harris has begun to undergo a political reset, a reset followed by a reset in December. Arrest warrants can be used as ID for those in the country illegally at the airport. Representative Lance Gooden, a Republican from Texas, has sent a letter to TSA after a whistleblower claimed the agency was allowing unknown migrants to board commercial airlines in the U.S. TSA Administrator David Pokoski, he responded explaining that certain Department Homeland Security documents may be considered acceptable alternatives Forms of identification, including a warrant for arrest of alien and a warrant of removal deportation. Huh. TSA said it relies on agencies such as the CBP or U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which issues the documents to migrants to verify that the name on the document used as alternative identification is the person whom the person claims to be. If an identity cannot be verified through the database search, an airport's federal security director is left to determine any extra screening process or decide to deny the individual entry. Senator Tom Cotton has called on the Warriors 
uh, co-owner to sell his stake in the NBA team after disturbing comments made on a recent podcast. He has since retracted those comments, sort of. Democrats are struggling to find candidates for key races in Florida. Just seven months to the August primary, they have a little clue whose names they'll be marking on the ballots for the two South Florida uh, most competitive congressional races. Two first-time candidates who made early announcements uh, that they would run for South Florida House seats have both since dropped their um, their bids to pursue runs for state office. A rumored likely candidate for federal office, former state Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez, was recently nominated by President Joe Biden to serve as an assistant secretary to the Department of Labor. Well, the prices of self-care are also on the rise. More bad news as women tend to view uh, the president higher than men. From the story, Procter & Gamble is raising prices across more of its portfolio to protect its profit margins as commodity and freight costs climb higher. The consumer giant said on its earnings call Wednesday that it has already told retailers about price hikes on fabric care products like Tide detergent, Downy dryer sheets slated to take effect the 28th of February. On Tuesday, the company told retailers that some personal health care products will see higher prices mid-April. P&G has already raised prices on 10 product categories across the portfolio. I won't mention what they all are. New York City mayor admits he doesn't feel safe on the subway system. That after suggesting that uh, people should feel safe after a woman was pushed to her death in front of a New York City subway train beneath Times Square over the weekend. Mayor Eric Adams acknowledged to reporters Tuesday that even he didn't feel entirely safe riding the rails. He recounted when he rolled the train in January. Uh, not long after taking the oath of office, he called 911 to report a fight near a subway station, encountered a yelling passenger and another passenger sleeping on a train. On day one, I took the subway system. I felt unsafe. I saw homeless everywhere. People were yelling on the trains. There was a feeling of disorder. So as we deal with the crime problem, we also have to deal with the fact people feel unsafe, he said. Texas and Arizona joined two other red states to have um, recovered all the jobs lost by the pandemic. Texas and Arizona might want to make note. Well, the GOP wants to know where the covid tests are. Last March, congressional Democrats unilaterally passed a bill allocating forty seven billion dollars in additional funding for the development, manufacture and distribution of rapid covid tests. Well, now with Omicron variant hitting the country hard, lawmakers are asking, where are all the promised new tests? For the last month, Americans have faced long lines at testing centers. And Dr. Fauci warns of disinformation at a World Economic Forum summit. The good doctor, who has a history of spreading COVID misinformation himself, warned at the World Economic Forum's uh, virtual summit that we have disinformation that is entirely destructive to our comprehensive public health endeavor. Records show that Fauci intentionally worked to smear researchers who saw the Wuhan lab leak theory as plausible by suggesting they were peddling in unscientific conspiracy theories. Meanwhile, at the same summit, Xi Jinping, the Chinese president and communist disinformation mastermind, who is to blame for the covid debacle, warned against blame shifting. Hmm. We are definitely going to investigate, Fauci said. Congressman Jim Jordan promising to open an investigation into Anthony Fauci should the GOP retake the House in November. If the American people put us back in charge, we're definitely going to do this because we now know without a doubt that Fauci knew on the 31st of January and February 1st that COVID came from a lab. And he went on from there. Remember U.S. uh, 
economic, um, or I should say, energy independence. Oil prices hit a seven-year high. The Chinese communist economy grew 8.1% in 2021 compared to the year before, and China's birth rate declined to an historic low of in 2021. Ivy League swimmer Leah Thomas says that he... The Jackie is the Jackie Robinson of trans sports, according to a teammate. And during Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential run, Joel Epstein's lawyer asked a couple asked a couple who had managed the so-called pedophile island to swear that Bill Clinton was never there. CDC finally admits cloth masks were always political theater, admitting they provide the least protection. Hmm. Americans' trust in government and cultural institutions is eroding. Just 33% of Americans have confidence in the government and the nation's uh, cultural institutions, according to a recent Gallup survey. Mike Lindell has been debanked, uh, one of uh, Donald Trump's biggest supporters and the founder and owner of MyPillow. Mike Lindell has been uh, given the boot by his banks, plural, heartfelt uh, or rather Heartland Financial and Minnesota Bank and Trust, Due to his being considered a reputation risk, Lindell explained that the banks gave him 30 days to close multiple accounts. I'm not leaving, so you're going to have to throw me out of your bank, he responded before uh, asking, where does it end, everybody? Where does it end? You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll hear from Kevin Hassett. He's the author of The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. We'll also take a look at countries where it's the hardest to follow Jesus in 2022. Continuing to uh, take a look at the news. Uh, Thankfully, a blind squirrel occasionally finds a nut. World Health Organization says there is no evidence at all that healthy children and adolescents need boosters. See what they say next week. CNN announced a misinformation coverage team and a classic example of the old adage of the pot calling the kettle. Well, you get it. CNN announced that it is creating a team dedicated to covering misinformation. I thought they already had one. Um, No, it's not a joke. In making his announcement, CNN's business managing editor, Alex Kopelman, explained, what do uh, we mean by covering misinformation? Really, it's about covering reality. The uses, abuses, and distortions of it, the people twisting it, and the effect that it has on all of us. We already do a lot of important work on this. We want to do more, end quote. Well, social media erupted with near-universal laughter and comments similar to that of the Babylon Bee's Seth Dillian, who succinctly wrote, CNN creates team dedicated to covering CNN. It is false. Justice Sonia Sotomayor and Neil Gorsuch um, rendered... Uh, as fake news, an NPR report about a masking feud that doesn't exist, but they naturally stood by their story despite denials by the principals. In another encroachment on our privacy, the IRS wants to require facial recognition scans to access your taxes. The Supreme Court will allow the transfer of former President Donald Trump's records to the January 6th committee. Only 10 percent of the J6 committee subpoenas relate to the Capitol riot fishing expedition regulatory costs soar as the president adds rules with a price tag of 201 billion dollars and one answer to the question where are all the workers well a record number of americans are quitting their jobs and starting businesses the nc2a makes a non-decision on transgender athletes after the leah thompson uh, thomas controversy and says it is up to the national governing bodies to each 
uh, of each individual sport. Huh. Mitch McConnell says President Biden got it wrong again when he claimed the GOP can't say what they're for. The president repeated uh, claim that Republicans cannot articulate what they're for to the American people drew pushback from Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell. The GOP has been vocal about what the party views as the most pressing issues facing the country, McConnell insisted. My good friend, the president, got it wrong once again. He said on special report in the interview, Time magazine commemorated President Biden's first year in office with a bleak cover capturing a rough presidency. USA Swimming issued a transgender policy statement amidst the controversy of male transgender competing against women. USA Swimming, which is the national governing body for the sport that oversees more than 360,000 members, released a statement on Thursday on its transgender athlete policy that aimed to strike a balance between inclusivity and competitive equality. The policy has become a focus of attention amid controversy surrounding Penn State's uh, transgender athlete who started breaking Ivy League records since he began competing as a woman. The USA Swimming Statement was posted on Instagram, and the organization said it was doing its best to learn and educate itself on the appropriate balance in this space. The organization said it's already implemented inclusion procedures that allow non-elite athletes to compete in a category that's consistent with their gender identity. Meanwhile, Caitlyn Jenner, a.k.a. Bruce Jenner, says the NC2A transgender participation policy is a symptom of a woke world gone wild. He says woke world not working for women's sports. Penn and the Ivy League vow support for transgender athletes following the NC2A's policy update. Not good news for female athletes. New York City Mayor Adams is being paid in Ethereum and Bitcoin for his first paycheck. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden and former Biden aide invested in a Chinese company tied to the Communist Party, NBA China. The Washington, D.C. defeat uh, the mandates marched called for an end to the draconian COVID-19 vaccine requirement. The march took to the streets and monuments in Washington as protesters and speakers called for an end to COVID-19 vaccine mandates nationwide. A number of major U.S. cities, including D.C., New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Minneapolis, Boston, have implemented rules requiring residents to show proof of vaccination at certain establishments, restaurants and gyms, for example. Well, the peaceful protest started around noon at the Washington Monument, headed first to the Lincoln Memorial, where it remained while a series of speakers took to the steps to share their experiences of the past year and their reasons to call for an end to the vaccine mandates. Between 30 and 35,000 people attended the protest demanding an end to the mandates and passports and a call for reasonable debate and the power of informed consent. COVID-19 researchers are studying the long-term impact the first round of infection has had on the sense of smell. And according to a new report, COVID-19 has infected about 20 percent of Americans, but the true percentage they say is likely higher. Beijing has ordered mass virus testing ahead of the Winter Olympic Games. Well, the president is weighing sending thousands of U.S. troops to counter Russia. The president considering uh, uh, sending uh, a few thousand troops to Eastern Europe and the Baltic states as part of a broader NATO effort to bolster NATO allies that border Russia and Ukraine, given recent tensions. Advisors presented uh, Biden with uh, various options to respond to the aggression from Russia, their stance in Eastern Europe in a Sunday briefing at Camp David. The president is considering sending three to 5,000 U.S. troops to Romania and to Latvia, 
um, Lithuania and Estonia as part of a broader NATO effort. Other NATO countries may also contribute troops to warn Russian President Putin not to try to move into neighboring countries. The president is also considering deploying naval vessels to make port visits to NATO allies who may feel threatened. Some equipment and troops in these proposed actions would come from Europe and some from the U.S. The U.K.'s Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office disclosed on Saturday that it had information suggesting that Russia will plan to install a Russian puppet in Ukraine. We have information that indicates the Russian government is looking to install a pro-Russian leader in Kiev. Or rather, Kiev, I think, is the the correct pronunciation for Ukraine, as it considers uh, whether to invade and occupy Ukraine. In other developments, Russia, uh, Russia's purported plan to install pro-Kremlin leadership in Ukraine is deeply concerning, according to the White House. And families of U.S. embassy personnel in Ukraine have been ordered to begin evacuating as soon as today. The State Department issued a do not travel warning for Ukraine as the embassy staff is told to leave. By the way, we don't have an ambassador in Ukraine at this time. A cruise ship with hundreds of passengers diverted to the Bahamas after the U.S. issued an arrest warrant over unpaid bills. Well, the cruise ship with hundreds of passengers and crew diverted its destination path from Miami to Bahamas to reportedly evade a warrant over $1.2 million in unpaid fuel bills. Ouch. Meanwhile, a Norwegian cruise ship hit with a COVID-19 wave canceled mid-voyage. CDC's cruise line guidance will become voluntary as COVID continues to spread. And Princess Cruises extended their Book with Confidence program for summer sailings. China uh, flies dozens of warplanes near Taiwan, with many predicting 2022 they intend to invade. Fox News poll says that voters are reluctant to give the president a second term, keeping in mind he's just completed his first year. There are three to go. Mitch McConnell says the U.S. should arm Ukraine. Uh, They're testing us to see whether we will do anything of consequence to keep them from gobbling up part of another sovereign country. McConnell said that hasn't happened since World War II. I don't think Vladimir Putin understands sovereignty. We understand that China, Russia and Iran are Uh, planning joint war games as well. Well, the media buried the story of Jewish hostages in a horrific attack. British citizen Malik Faisal Akram, a Muslim, broke into the Saturday service with backpacks of bombs and held four Jews, including the synagogue rabbi, hostage. Akram had arrived legally in the United States in December. The terror continued for more than 10 hours until an FBI SWAT team shot and killed Akram and the hostages escaped unharmed. News reports indicate that mental illness also lingered in Akram's background. Later, they pointed out while there was are many unknowns in the story, we can be certain of one thing for many uh, Muslims. The Jews are their chief enemy. And this hatred is fueled by specific Islamic tests, texts revered and honored as sacred. Uh, this man was apparently an extremist who embraced those views. Max Abrams noted the Texas synagogue terrorist attack was a 24 hour news story. Seth Mandel says the amount and type of coverage anti-Semitism receives as much of the in much of the United States media depends entirely on the perpetrator and not the victims. Even in our own story, we're relegated to pawns in a political narrative, complete afterthoughts. Well, China is detaining political enemies as the Olympic Games approach and M&M's promise, well, more diversity. Now, we're talking about candy, right? Well, what used to be candy we could all enjoy will soon be a treat designed for a more dynamic, progressive world. 
huh, I'm not sure I like the taste in my mouth. We'll see what actually happens. Well, Americans are trapped in Ukraine as Russia moves closer to the invasion. Whether or not they are um, leaving, whether or not there's a way for them to leave, we'll continue to follow that story. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We have news and traffic here at the top of the hour. Uh, when we come back, we'll um, continue to finish up on the news and we'll also hear from Kevin Hassett. The Drift is the title of the book, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. And we'll take a look at um, the countries where it's hardest to be a Jesus follower. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, we'll hear from Kevin Hassett. He's the author of The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. And we'll take a look at countries where it's hardest to follow Jesus in 2022. Well, a massive crowd descended upon Washington, D.C. for the March for Life, excited as they see a potential end to Roe versus Wade. As you know, the Supreme Court is pondering their final decision on that question. A time-lapse look at the uh, massive crowd is um, very encouraging if you're pro-life. YouTube declared plaster John MacArthur's sermon hate speech for his biblical take on sexuality. Standing in the pulpit on Sunday, MacArthur said, There is no such thing as transgender. You are XX or XY. That's it. God made man, male, and female. That is determined genetically. That is physiologically. That is science. That is reality. End quote. Well, later, YouTube removed his sermon from the platform and told conservative commentator Todd Starnes that MacArthur's video presentation was hate speech. Owen Strahan says, I stand with you, John MacArthur. Many do. Whatever man does to you or any of us, they will be talking about this courageous moment for 100 years. Now, the CDC admits natural immunity is a thing. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recently released a study in which it is finally admitted that those who've contracted COVID-19 not only gain natural immunity, but that natural immunity is several times greater than that of the vaccine at preventing future infections and hospitalizations. Well, as the study states, rates among vaccinated persons without a previous COVID-19 diagnosis were consistently higher than rates among unvaccinated persons with a history of COVID-19 and rates among vaccinated persons with a history of COVID-19. Of course, anyone who understands how vaccines work knows that the produced immunity could not be possible without the reality of natural immunity. Finally, the study was completed last November. So why did it take the CDC so long to release it? Well, it didn't comport with the narrative. Ukraine's president rebuked U.S. President uh, Biden. Um, The uh, Zelensky had a simple message for Joe Biden regarding his Wednesday press conference in which the president downplayed Russia's aggression toward Ukraine. We want to remind the great powers that there are no minor incursions and small nations, just as there are no minor casualties and little grief from the loss of loved ones. The Ukraine foreign minister also observed, speaking of minor and full incursions for full invasion, you cannot be half aggressive. You're either aggressive or you're not aggressive. We should not give Vladimir Putin the slightest chance to play with quasi aggression or small incursion operations. This aggression was there since 2014. This is the fact, end quote. Well, as the Supreme Court considers correcting Roe, this year's March for Life may be the most important yet. 
71% of Americans want limits on abortion, and the Supreme Court has refused to accelerate the challenge against the Texas abortion law. Well, the Republican National Committee issued an abortion statement saying this, For the 49th year, pro-life Americans will take to the streets of Washington, D.C. to march in defense of the unborn. It's a joyful celebration of life and a reminder that every member of our society, especially our most vulnerable, have inherent God-given worth. The Republican Party will continue to stand for the sanctity of life and fight back against Joe Biden and others increasingly radical abortion agenda, end quote. Well, pro-Second Amendment groups are bracing for the president's shift to bans and confiscation and breaking more than just energy independence. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm broke a stock trading law about nine times last year. The Supreme Court will consider challenges to affirmative action in Harvard and the UNC admissions and Republicans pin a national education battle to a parent's bill of rights. We'll follow that story as it develops. The Arizona Democrat Party uh, censures Kirsten Cinema over her filibuster integrity stance. And Intel is building a $20 billion computer chip factory in Ohio amid a global shortage. Optimism. The government plans to allow teens to become truck drivers to combat supply chain issues. And Taiwan intercepted a massive swarm of Chinese military aircraft as President Biden is being tested all around the world. The trial has begun in Sarah Palin's libel suit against the New York Times. Well, on this day in history, 1848, James W. Marshall, a New Jersey native, discovers a gold nugget at Sutter's Mill in Northern California, helping launch the gold rush of 1849. 1984, Apple Computer begins selling its first Macintosh model, which boasts a built-in 9-inch micro, and they'll see, monochrome display, a clock rate of 8 megahertz and 128K of RAM. Well, the sale starts two days after the company's 1984 commercial airs on CBS during the Super Bowl, the only national airing for TV spot. The space shuttle Discovery is launched from Cape Canaveral on the first secret all-military shuttle mission. 1993, retired Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall dies in Bethesda, Maryland. He was 84. 2003, former Pennsylvania Governor Tom Ridge is sworn in as the first secretary of the new Department of Homeland Security. He had served as Homeland Security Advisor until the agency was launched. On this day in history, 2013, Defense Secretary Leon Panetta announces the lifting of a ban on women serving in combat. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, scientists in China announced they've used the cloning technique that produced Dolly the sheep to create healthy monkeys, the first such achievement in primates. Well, President Biden rounded out his first year in office inadvertently encouraging perhaps a Russian invasion of Ukraine. At least that's the interpretation of Ukrainian leadership and other observers. He's now um, infamous comment that the Western response to an invasion would depend on whether it's a minor incursion was remarkably disturbingly candid, demonstrating that Washington and the West could well tolerate a limited Russian attack. Well, the president also said another unstated assumption out loud that there's no transatlantic unity on how to respond to the Russian military buildup. Effectively, he telegraphed to the Kremlin that the U.S. response to an invasion will only be as strong as what its most reticent ally will permit. Keeping in mind, for example, that Germany is dependent now on Russian oil. Well, the president's comments 
uh, laid bare the fundamental problems with the administration's handling of the situation in Eastern Europe so far. Washington is hesitant to do anything that might be interpreted in Moscow as an escalation. The White House is yielding to German economic interests over Ukraine's interest in maintaining its independence. It's taken a model U.N. kid glove approach to dealing with the uh, kleptocratic thug who has shown a penchant for invading the democracies bordering Russia. And it has actively lobbied against measures such as a Nord Stream 2 sanctions bill proposed by Senator Ted Cruz that would bolster U.S. deterrence. Well, the president ascended to the presidency pledging to support U.S. allies and partners. And to his credit, the administration's strongest performance throughout this crisis has been the marathon of meetings and calls U.S. officials have conducted with foreign counterparts. But even then, the president's minor incursion comment prompted rather an embarrassing public backlash from Ukrainian officials. Uh, the president criticizing it on on Twitter beyond social media foibles rests a more important diplomatic fact For everything Biden and others have said about supporting Ukraine, the president has yet to even nominate an ambassador to the country. This is the president's Ukraine problem that could ultimately become a war in Europe and everyone else's problem as well. We'll continue to follow that story as it develops in the um, in the short term, if not in the long run. Um, As we mentioned earlier in the program uh, diplomatic, uh, those who are in diplomatic service there are being encouraged by the, um, by the, yeah, you have to hold them up higher. I can't, <laughs> I can't see your end. Anyway, are being encouraged to leave the country. Well, coming up, we're going to talk with Kevin Hassett. He is the author of The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. And then later we'll talk about uh, the countries where it's hardest to follow Jesus in 2022. Uh, That's coming up in the uh, remainder of today's program, so stay with us. Once again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest is the author of The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to socialism. Kevin Hassett wasn't always a Trump supporter. In fact, he took a dim view of the populist agenda, the mercurial temperament of the man who had won control of the Republican Party, but experience would change his mind. Well, as chairman of the President's Council of Economic Advisors, he helped Donald Trump bring about a golden age of prosperity in which Americans, who'd been left behind for decades of failed policy, were given the opportunity to succeed. The miracle lasted three years until a virus from China killed it. Well, his book is titled The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism, and it reveals uh, President Trump's proven strategy in which a mix of free market principles and enlightened nationalism revived the American economic dynamo. Well, guided by an unlikely team of advisors and driven by his own force of will, he recognized what Washington bureaucrats, that they had undermined the American dream by inserting themselves into every aspect of the economy. Now, these so-called experts were leading us down the path to socialism, and President Trump fought like mad to turn things around. Well, Kevin Hassett is a distinguished visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution and managing director of the Lindsay Group. He served as chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors from 2017 to 2019, returning to the White House as a senior advisor to President Trump. He helped guide the economic response to the coronavirus pandemic. Prior to his White House service, he was a resident 
resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and a senior economist for the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System. He earned his Ph.D. from the University of Pennsylvania and has taught at Columbus, uh, rather Columbia University and the New York University School of Law. He's the author of the bestsellers Dow 36,000 and Bubbleology. Today, he joins us to talk about his latest, simply titled The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to socialism. Kevin Hassett, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's an honor to be here. And uh, you've been a leader in talk radio for, for a long, long time. Well, you've <laughs> been around for a while. That's true. Now, you admit uh, early on that you weren't always a Donald Trump supporter. Uh, you took a dim view of some aspects of his character and his approach, but became uh, convinced that he was on the right track through your association and experience working with him. Can you talk a little bit about those early days and where that shift began? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I didn't have like a super negative view. It mm-hmm. was just that, you know, I was part of the Republican establishment. I was research director at the American Enterprise Institute, the, the sort of establishment think tank. And um, I was friends with people that were friends with Jared. And, and then when the president started searching for a, a chair for the Council of Economic Advisors, you know, they interviewed me and I talked to the president and we really got along. And he was seemed way different than the guy that I read about in the New York Times mm-hmm. or saw, you know, characterized on CNN or something. He's um, a really, you know, fun guy to work with, uh, a, a sort of crack up. Um, you know, he's tough, but he's also uh, he's got like a heart of gold. And, and, you know, I really grew to be good friends with him. Uh, we work closely together. We still see each other now and then. Um, had dinner with him a couple times in the last few months. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, People don't understand the guy very well. And, and, and I have a bunch of stories in the book mm-hmm. that help you see him better. The, the, the first one was actually kind of a hard one on me, but it shows a, a side of him that people do know if they watch The Apprentice or something. And that is my very first presentation in the Oval Office. I went in there because I'm an economist, right, with some slides and things like that. And he's, he's really into data and slides, and he, he really did love that stuff. But he uh, flipped through, and, and one of my slides was about real estate prices and he said, looking at the slide, this slide is dead wrong. You've got, you know, bad data. You know, you know, what are you bringing, you know, bad data? You know, this slide has to be wrong. I know real estate better than anybody. There's no way this slide is right. Why are you bringing bad data into the Oval Office? And, of course, it wasn't bad data. And I, you know, had vetted everything within an inch of its life before I went in. And I just sort of said, no, sir, you know, I'm sorry, but you're incorrect and you're probably – uh, thinking about Palm Beach real estate, but you know the rest of Florida <laughs> is not doing the same as Palm Beach. And and he kind of smiled and laughed and shook his head. And I think I sort of passed the test, yeah. right? Because what you know, if you can't stick up for yourself, then why does he want to listen to you? Yeah, and I'm sure um, he came but, to respect that. Yeah, well, I think he did that. To I, I, I subsequently saw that he sort of did a test like that. So that, that that if if you went in and you were going to be his advisor on any topic, let's just say talk radio, <laughs> then the first time you, you said something to him that then he would say, no, that's dead wrong. That's not right at all. I don't talk radio better than anybody. And you just gave me, you know, terrible advice. And then if you don't argue back, then you're not a person he wants advising. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, so that's one side, the side that people don't see. Um, I go into in a couple of stories of the book, but, but one of them was that as the council of economic advisors chair, there's something that like not many people know um, that's interesting about the job, which is you get all the economic data, which, you know, moves markets and things like that a day before everybody else. 
you're the only person in government that gets it. And then if it's sort of interesting data, the reason you get it a day ahead of time is so that like, because it moved a lot, if there's like something that's going to crash markets, you know, you need to scramble the troops and get ready to to say things about what you're going to do about it. Right. And, and, and so that's why you get the data the day before. And I used to have to go and talk about the data the day before with the president, either at the end of the day um, or sometimes early in the morning before the data came out. And one time I was in Paris on a diplomatic mission and I couldn't brief the president on a really important jobs report. And my chief of staff was just like the president. And, you know, they spoke like New Yorkers with each other, waving their hands and stuff like that. And they really got along. And when I said I would be out of town, I told the president I, I had one of the other members of the Council of Economic Advisors, you know, economics professors, brief him. And he said, no, I want DJ to brief me uh, because the two of them, you know, he had a great deal of respect for her because she was in the office when I was in the Oval Office when I was briefing him a lot. And so DJ was going to brief the president about the job support, but she's not an economist. So she was pretty nervous about it. And so she was so nervous that as she's walking in in the morning, she walked to get into her car from her house to drive into the Oval about seven in the morning to see the president. She steps in a pothole and breaks her leg. No kidding. <laughs> you poor thing, right? Okay. But, but being a New Yorker, she drives to, and she had kind of a bad parking spot at the White House too, which is unfair. I kept trying to change it, but the hierarchy of parking spots is like a whole nother book, right? And so she, she was pretty far from the White House and she drove, she parked in her parking spot, which is probably about 250 yards from the entrance to the White House. She walked in, she walked into the Oval on a broken leg, briefed the president, and then, you know, walked out um, nobody knew anything was going on. And then she went to the hospital and it was like a terrible break and they had to put it in the cast and all that. And um, when the president found out about this, he sent her the sweetest note, you know, basically talking about how honored he is to serve with a person who's so dedicated to their country, but also next time go to the hospital first. <laughs> 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 and, and it's, this is, and, and while, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I was in the Oval and um, there would be some friend of his or friend of a friend that had a health issue. And then, you know, the um, person, the secretaries outside the Oval Office would say, oh, I've got so-and-so on the line. And he would interrupt the meeting to talk to the person to try to cheer them up. And, and that side of him is something that I think people just don't see. Um, and, and I think he doesn't really show it himself very much because you know, he does have a sort of TV persona of being a real tough guy, right? But but working with him was just an extreme pleasure. And, and it was especially because once you sort of made the cut, then you were on his team and he had your back. Well, it is interesting to see that, that aspect of his personality that certainly you didn't hear or read about uh, in the mainstream media. Now, the, the title of the book is The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. Maybe a year and a half ago, we would have thought, oh, we're not really sliding towards socialism, primarily because of the work of the uh, the Trump administration. Today, I think there's a bit of alarm um, that we have seen an accelerated effort moving us in that direction. Why did you think it was important not only to give us a portrait of the president that's rare uh, these days, uh, but also the role that he played during his presidency in stopping that slide and what's happened since? Yeah, you know, that that it, it is a thing that uh, happened to to me in, in sort of real life. You know, you started out with I'm this guy who uh, – you know, sort of skeptical about the president, but then surprisingly, you know, I didn't work on the campaign. He offered me a job and then I went in 
And I saw that he advocated policies that were basically, uh, you know, pro-free market, uh, you know, and pro-little guy. Uh, and then we pushed those policies through together as a team, and then they worked. And so while I was there, you know, income inequality declined. Uh, wages in the bottom percent went up faster than for people in the top 10%. Uh, Three million people uh, went off of poverty. Seven million people went off of food stamps because the economy was so strong. And it was really because of his policies. Because you might recall that when he took office, everybody said that we had a new normal of bad growth forever. Wages, in fact, didn't grow at all under President Obama over eight years. And in President Trump's uh, uh, four years or three years before COVID, um, they went up $6,000 for the typical family. And, and so I, the thing that, that happens with the book is that, that about halfway through, you know, we've done all this stuff. I've characterized it. I've got a lot of stories of inside uh, baseball about President Trump's thinking about all these policies. And, and you would think that if you're a left wing person and you saw poverty declining, income inequality declining, uh, wealth inequality declining, uh, and then you would think, OK, well, I was skeptical about these guys' policies and maybe I don't like the guy, but I should at least like reconsider my position on those policies because they really are helping poor people. But instead, what happened was he got crucified and I just started uh, noodling about, well, why did he get crucified? And then researching it and digging into it deeper and deeper. And I found basically that uh, that there is a sort of organized effort a large organized effort, which I described in half of the book, um, to you know control uh, America's media, to control America's universities by socialists who have a totalitarian agenda. And Donald Trump is the worst thing that ever happened to them because they're not really interested in income inequality. They're not really interested. You know, African-American unemployment was the lowest ever while Trump was president. And they say he's a racist and that they're the ones who defend African-Americans. But they're not interested in African-American unemployment. They're interested in power and whatever it takes to get power. And so they had to destroy the man. And so in the second half of the book, what I do is I describe this thing I call the drift which is, uh, you know, a drift could also be, be a noun. It's the thing that's floating down the river. It's this giant edifice that's been built up in our society to drive us towards totalitarian socialism. And I think that, you know, a lot of people on TV will say, oh, it's socialist this, socialist that, but they don't ever go into the detail of, well, what is socialist and who's socialist? Where is it coming from? And that's what my book does. And so if you want to fight it, you kind of need to read the book to understand. Yeah, absolutely. It begins with with understanding. We need to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation again, talking with Dr. Kevin Hassett. He is the author of The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. And he uh, served alongside uh, President Trump and gives a very unique perspective on a pivotal presidency. We'll return in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Kevin Hassett. He is the author of The Drift and former chairman of the President's Council of Economic Advisors in the Trump administration. He offers a unique perspective on a pivotal presidency. He is um, unconnected and unbeholden to Donald Trump, he writes, and came to the administration with a critical eye. What he has written about The Drift, stopping America's slide to socialism, is essential information, not only in understanding how the Trump administration um, halted that tide at least for three years before COVID, uh, but where we stand today and what we need to do uh, to move back in in the direction of preventing that slide into socialism. 
Um, over Donald Trump's first three years in office, you point out some very significant economic advances that were not um, were not really given the credit that they deserved. And you also make the point that uh, this president was um, the victim of uh, he found himself in the middle, as you write, of a much bigger historical battle than the simple fight against Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton. This was an epic battle. Uh, has it been lost? And what do you see happening in the future with regard to this drift toward socialism? Well, well, that's exactly the the right question, which is, you know, why you're the professional that you are but doing this for a long time. The, the fact is that uh, in the book, I describe um, the sort of forward looking visions of 20th century thinkers about, you know, the broad swath of history. And um, one of the first ones that I look at is a guy named Joseph Schumpeter, who basically said that the American capitalism would work for about 50 years, writing in the 1920s, but that in the end it would fail, and it would fail, and it would uh, we would turn to a socialist country, because as we got richer and richer, everybody would send their kids to colleges and universities. And the professors at colleges and universities are always going to be socialists. He has a whole chapter on why professors are socialists, but the two-sentence version is they think they're better than everybody else, but they don't get paid that much. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, society must be unjust, right? Uh, and so so the professors train everybody, uh, indoctrinate everybody to be socialists. Uh, and then the best students at Harvard who've been trained to be socialists go on to be the writers at the New York Times and the editors, the news editors at CBS News, and they basically push a socialist agenda that they've been taught, indoctrinated into thinking, is the truth, Uh, and then launch a sort of Spanish Inquisition against anybody who would oppose it and defend free markets and capitalism. And so Schumpeter described the America that we live in, you know, really accurately in in the 1920s, but what he didn't see was that, uh, that there was going to be an internet. And mm. so what what happened next was, so we're living in a society where everybody's basically always running down conservatives, always running, you know, think about Mitt Romney's the nicest guy on earth. You know, I know he disagreed with the president a lot, but, but by the time he was done with the convention, right, he was like this woman hating, want to take away your birth control, dog torturing guy, right? And, and, and that's what they do to Republicans. And so, but, but Marshall McLuhan, another great figure that I talk about in the book, in the 60s said, well, when the internet comes, then the uh, the elites are going to lose their control over information because they're going to like curate your life and tell you what news, what's good news and what's bad news and not show you stuff at all. Uh, and they're going to lose the power to do that in the, when the internet comes. And in fact, the internet is going to create a global village, he called it, where there's a competition for attention. And the competition for attention is going to be uh, won by the sort of most uh, outrageous and, and, and most powerful voices. And that won't necessarily be the intellectual elites. And so that's exactly right. Isn't that the story of Donald Trump? So, so he spent <laughs> almost no money on, on television ads or anything. He was just tweeting really interesting stuff that everybody had to go look at. And uh, he won. He became president. But what McLuhan said and this is, uh, again, you know, characterizing the drift, and then we go deeper into it in the book, is that uh, the, uh, uh, the elites will see that they've lost their power over our lives when the Internet comes. And then what they'll do is, he called it, they'll organize inattention. 
Um, and what that means is basically what we're seeing. They'll cancel conservatives. They'll wipe them off the Internet. They'll make it impossible for them to use it so that you know they basically uh, can't compete with the curated society that drives us towards socialism. And so think about it. A guy who was an information theorist, a media theorist in the 60s and the 50s, said that Donald Trump was going to win, but then he was going to be canceled. Yeah, he anticipated. It's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what happened. But, but the thing is, it's not just Donald Trump. The America First Policy Institute, which is the, a think tank started by a bunch of Trump people, and it's the fastest growing think tank in the country right now. It's doing amazingly well. But they have launched a lawsuit about the deplatforming of President Trump from uh, social media. And they put up a website where they asked uh, people around the country to put up their own stories if they've been canceled by social media. And they're up to about 100,000 stories. And I was at a board meeting a few weeks ago where, you know, some interns had really dug through all the stories and they basically said, yeah, the stories are real. If you go out on the Internet right now and you, you know, and this is not talking about like election fraud accusations. This is simply just like defending the idea that the economy worked under Trump or something like that. Then you get canceled. And so we are at the stage right now where the socialists almost won because they controlled the media and they controlled the message. Uh, and they did because Donald Trump, uh, you know, went around them with the internet, but now they're controlling the internet too. And so the question is, can we, uh, stand up against that? Can we fight against that? Or are we going to lose? And if we lose that battle, then we are going to become a totalitarian socialist state. How optimistic are you that we will, first of all, fight the battle and second, win it? I think that we can. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the thing that, that I think, and, and this, again, I go into much more detail of the book, yes. is that the power that the left elitists have over us is the sort of quasi-belief that we have that they control respectability. And so, you know, like the Harvard guys are like, you know, way smarter than us, and so we should do what they're told, well, what they say, right? And, and so that they sort of sneer at people who are stupid enough to defend free markets and, and withdraw respectability from them, make it impossible for them to get tenure at a university and so on if they're an intellectual. And, and so uh, what – oh, and, and while I'm in the White House, one of the things I noticed is even my colleagues, former colleagues at the American Enterprise Institute, were unwilling to defend really sound Trump policies – because they were worried that the people who control respectability would withdraw it. Uh, and, and so understanding that the left uses bullying and respectability as a weapon is the first step to victory. And the response to that is that we have to sort of stop believing it because they don't. You know, they're wrong about just about everything. And we have to understand that respectability is about being right, having the facts on your side. And that's something that you know, is not controlled by the universities. It's not controlled by the liberal elites. It's controlled basically by science, like true science. And and I think that's step one. And, and step two is just studying the organisms that they've built and, and recognizing what they're doing and then standing up and fighting against it. And, and so what are the things you do is if you see somebody being bullied by leftists, then you have to stand up and defend them. And, and most people uh, in the Trump years, in the late Trump years, would just duck because they didn't want to be attacked as well. 
And, you know, if conservatives uh, like Bush Republicans, uh, I was a Bush Republican. You know, I've met President Bush. Uh, I worked on his campaigns. But there are all these Bush Republicans that basically ducked and let Trump take all the fire. And if those people don't stand up and fight the drift, then the drift is going to win. Yeah, they they don't anticipate the ricochet that occurs. You assume that that one figurehead is going to absorb all of the uh, the attack and that it won't somehow ricochet onto you. But that certainly has been the case. You cover so many fascinating issues um, that we're facing, um, standing up to China, um, the the um, five million hours and counting what makes a country a country, referring to borders and so on. Uh, but let me ask you about the way forward. We are now perhaps more aware of the drift towards socialism, uh, the the temporary stay that we had under the Trump administration and how all of that is accelerated of late. What is the way forward for those who are willing to uh, accept the um, the challenge from opponents who want to uh, undermine any effort to challenge their ascendancy and their right to censor everyone else? Right. Well, well, I think that the way forward is to recognize that um, this is what's going on. Okay, so so it's not just sort of, you know, CNN and left wing media that, you know, most of society has been basically built up around the college and university system where they train the people and indoctrinate them into socialism that then go teach our kids in you know, elementary schools and high schools all around the country. They uh, are, you know, the majority of the journalists who tell us how to think about what's going on in the world and that our country faces a serious threat from these people. And the answer is that we have to recognize it and then start to fight it in every way we can, of course, peacefully. But but like one example of something that's a real positive development is that a bunch of people are starting a new university, University of Austin in Texas, where they're going to basically celebrate free markets and um, not allow themselves to be taken over by the drift. And so what we as conservatives who believe in our country and the founding principles need to do is build our own institutions, because our, if we build our own institutions, then they're going to be better than Harvard. They're going to be better than their institutions because their institutions have become so corrupt. And, and really, you know, devoted to socialism, which is just stupid. And, and so you can't assert that you're a home for a billion people if you're also defending socialism. Well, once again, the, the title of the book, The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. Uh, Dr. Kevin Hassett is the author, the former chairman of the President's Council of Economic Advisors under the Trump administration. There's so much more that our listeners need to read. Uh, the book is published by Regnery, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about it and hope uh, our listeners uh, will take our advice and pick up the book and begin to read. Thanks. It's really been a great fun talking to you. Thank Thanks. you so much. Bye bye. Again, Dr. Kevin Hassett. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. As I mentioned at the top of the program, one of the highlights for my calendar year is Mission Connection. And of course, that was last weekend. And it was the first time since the pandemic that we've had the opportunity to meet in person. Uh, It was so thrilling to be together with believers from all over, not just the Pacific Northwest. We have some folks who traveled five hours to be there. Great speakers, 
tremendous workshops, exhibits that covered everything you could possibly imagine with regard to to missions. Um, and I just want to commend Bill McLeod and the steering committee. Uh, thank Village Church for making the church available for this event. And I think for those who were there, it was just a, a thrilling opportunity to once again really focus in on um, our purpose and God's calling. One of the things I wanted to emphasize is that Mission Connection can be viewed online at some point in the not too distant future. Now, the plenary sessions, I understand, will be available sooner, perhaps even this week. But the uh, many of the workshops will be available at missionconnection.com or through their Mission Connection app. And you'll be able to uh, to sit in and enjoy those workshops as well. So uh, either get the app Mission Connection uh, or go to missionconnection.com and you can get all the important details. Some of those uh, plenary speakers were absolutely incredible. And the same is true for workshops. So uh, check that out. And you can also learn more about connection events that are taking place throughout the remainder of the year. Well, I was reminded that Open Doors, uh, just last week, they released their 2022 World Watch List, and it's a list of the 50 countries where Christian persecution is the worst. A thousand more Christians were killed for their faith last year than the year before. A thousand more Christians were detained for their faith than the year before. 600 more churches were attacked or closed than the year before. Afghanistan is now the new number one, according to the 2022 World Watch list, the latest annual accounting from Open Doors of the top 50 countries where it's most dangerous and difficult to be a Christian. Uh, They have uh, replaced North Korea, where many people uh, thought, you know, that's where the, the top of the list would rise. But now Afghanistan. This year's findings indicate seismic changes in the persecution landscape. That's a quote from David Curry. He's the president of Open Doors USA. Well, since they started their tally back in 1992, North Korea has led the ranking. But since Afghanistan's takeover by the Taliban last August, Afghan believers have had to leave their country or relocate internally. Many are still in hiding. Many lost everything they had. Um, The report notes, so while house churches were closed in their wake. And I hope we are continuing to pray for the church in Afghanistan and for that matter, for the church worldwide where persecution is common. Before the Taliban, it was not great, but it was good. That's a quote from one evacuated Afghan requesting anonymity in hopes that he may one day return to the country. Now Christians are living in fear, in secret, totally underground, end quote. Well, Open Doors is uh, quick to note the displacement of North Korea to number two doesn't reflect an improvement in religious freedom there. On the contrary, a new anti-reactionary thought law has resulted in an increase of Christian arrests and house church uh, closures as well. Overall, 360 million Christians live in nations with high levels of persecution or discrimination. That's one in seven Christians worldwide, including one in five believers in Africa, two in five in Asia, one in 15 in Latin America. Well, last year, for the first time in 29 years of tracking, all 50 nations scored high enough to register very high persecution levels on the 84-question matrix that uh, Open Doors has developed. This year, all 50 again qualified, as did five more nations that fell just outside the cutoff. And while Islamic extremism continues to create the most persecution, 
They note that COVID-19 restrictions have become an easy way to tighten control and surveillance over religious minorities and worship services in China and in other nations. Researchers also found that persecution is increasingly displacing Christians from their communities with tens of thousands, especially from Myanmar, uh, formerly Burma, becoming refugees uh, in other uh, nations. Well, the purpose of the annual report, the ranking, if you will, which have chronicled how North Korea has uh, Uh, competition as persecution gets worse and worse is to guide prayers and to aim for more effective um, anger while showing persecuted believers that they are not forgotten. The uh, most recent version, the 2022 version tracks the time period from October 1st of 2020 to September 20th of 2021 and is compiled from grassroots reports by open door workers uh, in more than 60 countries. So these are, are on the ground. Where are Christians most persecuted today? Well, again, Afghanistan doesn't represent the only substantial change in this year's ranking. Myanmar moved um, up to number 12 from number 18 due to increased violence after its coup and discrimination in health care. Gutter climbed to number 18 from number 29 as previously tolerated house churches were not permitted to reopen after COVID closures, despite permission given to mosques and the few officially registered church buildings. Indonesia rose to number 28 from number 47, driven by two deadly Islamist attacks on churches despite a government crackdown against terrorism. And Cuba jumped from number 37, uh, or I should say to number 37, to from number 51 due to intensified action against Christian leaders and activists opposing communist principles. Well, overall, the top 10 nations only shuffled position from last year. Somalia held steady at number three, as did Libya at number four, Eritrea at six, and India at number 10. Yemen rose two spots to number five, replacing Pakistan, which fell three spots to number eight. Iran fell one spot to number nine, and Nigeria rose two spots to number seven, completing the group. Again, that list where it's hardest to follow Jesus in the world, Afghanistan at number one, North Korea, Somalia, Libya at four, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, and India. Now, surprisingly removed rather in November from the U.S. State Department annual listing of uh, countries of particular concern, After finally being added in 2020, Nigeria was given special attention in the Open Doors report. Once you are a Christian in Nigeria, your life is always at stake. And that's a quote from a Nigerian believer identified as Manga, whose father was beheaded by Boko Haram. But it's not like we have any place else to go. We have no option, end quote. Africa's most populous nation ranked first in the... uh, Uh, subcategories of Christians killed, abducted, sexually harassed, or physically or mentally abused, and in homes and businesses attacked for faith-based reasons. It ranked second in subcategories of church attacks and internal displacement. It has uh, become increasingly clear that Christians and minority groups cannot count on the security apparatus for their protection, the report went on to say. Well, violations of religious freedom in Nigeria are uh, tied to a rapidly growing Islamist presence in the African Sahel, uh, Mali rose uh, to number 24 from number 28 and Open Doors fears it may increase further next year. Burkina Faso held steady at number 32. Niger jumped from 33, rather to 33 from 54. 
and nearby the Central African Republic rose to 31 from 35, where it had been before. The epicenter of international um, jihadism is now in Sahal, in that area. Open Door senior analyst for freedom and religion and belief for um, uh, this area points out in this the Saharan Africa, sub-Saharan. This terrorism is moving south and predominantly Christian countries like Benin, Togo, Ghana, Ivory Coast are now affected. None rank on the watch list thus far, but they are being impacted. The places where Christians face most violence, well, at the top of that list is Nigeria, followed by Pakistan, India, Central African Republic, Democratic Republic of Congo, Mozambique, Cameroon, Afghanistan, Mali, and South Sudan. Again, these are uh, areas where Christians face the most violence. I mention it because we've just finished a missions conference in which we are reminded of the tremendous charge we have in the Great Commission. And part of that charge is to support those who are suffering as though we ourselves were being persecuted. We need to remember to pray for them and, when possible, to support efforts to uh, protect and preserve them. I hope we will all join together in remembering. And you can find the list and more information from Open Doors online. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk with Lois Anderson with Oregon Right to Life. We'll be talking about the sanctity of human life, the pending decision in the U.S. Supreme Court regarding Roe versus Wade, the March for Life that took place this weekend, but the March for Life that's coming uh, to the Portland area next weekend, all of that and more when Lois Anderson, the executive director of Oregon Right to Life, joins me on the program tomorrow. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Please remember to pray for the persecuted church. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.